You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Before we dig in, I do want to just kind of give a little shout out to our gymnastics team. I don't know if any of them are here tonight. They're getting ready to leave tomorrow morning early uh, to go to the national championships. So T-Dub Gymnastics is uh, headed to the national championships. So Friday they'll be competing, and uh, if they do well Friday, they'll compete on Saturday to, uh, to get a ring. So hopefully they come home with a ring this weekend. Um, listen, I, I, I know WAG just, just prayed. I want to I pray again and just ask the Lord to be with us in this moment as we open his word. So if you would, uh, uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to gather under your name and in your presence tonight. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, I pray that you would um, speak into my life, speak into our lives. And Lord, as we've been praying already tonight, um, backstage and beforehand, I just pray that you would make your presence known. Because it's when you make your presence known that um, your grace falls down, your mercy falls down, your power falls down on our life. And, and that's, that's what we need. That's why we're here. Lord, we, we are hungry for an encounter with you. So we just ask for that tonight, knowing that um, we're about to talk about Jesus, and that's because without, without Christ, there's no hope for an encounter with you. And so we thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Um, thank you for his resurrection. And that through that, we can have life and have a relationship with you. We pray that in his name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how Satan is making war on us. Do you remember that? I think it was two weeks ago. Um, it, was this, it was the sermon where I challenged us to ask the question, are you a threat? And I, I want to start there tonight. We're, we're going to be in Revelation 15 and 16 tonight, but I want to start there because do you ever just have those days or have those weeks or have those seasons in your life where you, just, you feel like Satan's just pounding on you extra hard? You ever have those? You just feel like he's coming after you. I want to start with that idea because I'll, I'll just be honest with you, that's, that's where I, I feel like I've been the past few days. That's where I feel like I've been the past, honestly, past couple weeks. I, I do not want to put up a front and, and act like I've got it together up here. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be getting married in 25, 24 days, whatever it is now. Uh, I had a blast with y'all at Beach Reach a couple weeks ago in PCB. Uh, I love leading this ministry. I love getting to do what I get to do. I love getting to go other places and teach and preach. I love all of that stuff. But in the midst of uh, the awesome things that I, I, I have to say are happening in my life right now, the struggle is real. And Satan can be brutal. And the things that happen in life that are unexpected or even expected can be really difficult. And I just want to share a couple things with you. In, in the past few weeks... This may be weird to say, but in the past few weeks, nothing major by any means. Um, I've had a couple of health issues, nothing major. Um, I was having some stomach issues, and they thought maybe my gallbladder was screwed up. Uh, they checked that out. I got a sonogram, you know, boy or girl, it was neither. Uh, 
but um, you know, it wasn't the gallbladder, and so you know, they, you know, maybe it's just I'm, you know, freaking out about you know getting married in a, in a couple weeks. I'm not. I'm not freaking out, Leslie. I'm excited. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, I've been having some stomach issues. So there's been some health issues. Again, nothing major, um, but just, you know, you know, those lingering, annoying health issues. Been having that. Um, been having some family issues. Just want to be honest. You ever have those seasons in, in, in your family where some of the relationships between you and your family members are just not good? And it weighs heavy on your heart and it weighs heavy just on your life as, as a whole? That's, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and, and with that, you know, I, sometimes I deal with anxiety and stress. Um, whether that's just things going on in, in our ministry, uh, things going on in life, or um, you know, planning a wedding, uh, you know, all this stuff, kind of juggling it, just dealing with anxiety and stress. On top of that, I've been so frustrated with myself over the past uh, few days, few weeks, of just seeing my, my immaturity in my relationship with Christ. And just seeing some, some areas where I know I should be more mature in my relationship with Christ than I am. And, uh, and, and I share this, I, let me say this, I don't share this stuff with you because I'm trying to get you to feel a certain way for me. I'm sharing this stuff with you because I know that a lot of you in here are in the same boat. You're, you're struggling right now. And whether it's family issues, health issues, anxiety, stress from, from school and work and money, financial problems, financial stuff, and you're trying to juggle all of that and, and projects, or, or you're mad at yourself because... Uh, you're giving in to the same old sins over and over again, or summer just couldn't come any sooner. Can I get an amen on that one? Like I know so many of you in here, you're in the same boat, and, and sometimes it can feel difficult going to church or coming into a setting like this, even though the gospel is all about Jesus coming to save people who, with, who have jacked up lives. Church can ironically feel like a place where everyone's got it all together. And you need to know that not everybody in here has it all together. I don't have it all together. In fact, I would argue that nobody in here has it all together. Nobody in here has their junk together. Now the ones who come off that way or act like they've got it all together, they're lying to you and they're lying to to themselves. But here's where I feel like we need to start tonight. It's saying this. Three words. Jesus loves you. Sometimes I, I feel like it's important to remind ourselves of that, that Jesus really loves you. And I want to I show you this text. It's not where we're going to camp out, but John chapter 3. Verse, beginning in verse 16, and you know verse 16. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn those who don't have their junk together. God sent Jesus into the world to save those who realize they don't have their junk together. Uh, Last night I preached in Flower Mound at this event called Fields of Faith. It's an event for high school, middle school students. They do it around uh, the country. And typically they meet on a field. We met inside an indoor practice facility at Flower Mound High School. And... um, 
you know, the, the idea is high school, middle school students, they invite their friends. It's through FCA. They invite your, their friends to come and that don't know Christ, and it's an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so last night, um, I preached at this, at this event, and um, I don't normally like to give invitations after I preach. And there's various reasons for that. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're bad, but um, the reality is every time you encounter God's word, you, he's inviting you to respond. Um, so the invitation is always there. The invitation is there tonight whether I say, you know, do this, do that at the end. Um, but I don't really like to give invitations for various reasons. When I do give in invitations, it's because God's prompting my heart. Rarely do I ever plan an invitation. Um, do you know what I'm talking about when I say invitation? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using terminology that's like churchy terminology. So, um, But last night they wanted me to give an invitation, which is totally cool. So I did. And so at the end of the night, I, I preached actually from John chapter 3. And at the end of the night, I asked, I asked students um, to bow their heads and close their eyes. And, um, and then based off of the text that we had looked at, I, I challenged them with a couple of things. And, and, uh, and, and I said, okay, if this is you, I want, I want you to raise your hand. Keeping your eyes closed, your head's bowed, I want you to raise your hand. And, uh, and, and there was a decent number of students who raised their hand expressing that they needed to put their faith in Christ. And then after that, I, I asked another question. You know, if this is you, I want you to raise your hand. And, and there were a lot more students who expressed that they were not following Christ. They believed that they had a relationship, but they were not following Christ, but wanted to uh, go deeper in their relationship with Christ. And so we, we did that. And, uh, and then after doing that, I, I had them all stand up, and there was a band to lead worship during that invitation time. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Across the walls in the back, there's people to counsel you. And if you're one of the ones who raised your hand, I want you to go. As soon as she starts singing, I want you to go and start, and I want you to go to one of those counselors and talk to them. Let them encourage you, walk you through this decision that you're making. And so I, I walked off, and she started to lead worship, and nobody moved. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that raised their hands. Um, and so I went back up there, and I went back up there, and I said, all right, I kind of called them out on it. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people raise their hands, but nobody's moving right now. And so I said, you know, sometimes, sometimes all it takes is one brave person. To, uh, to be the first to be willing to move. And, um, and then that kind of gives everybody else the courage to move. And so I, I asked, who's going to be my brave person tonight? And, and, I, and I said, everybody's looking. You need to know that. Everybody's watching. So who's going to be the brave person? And after I said that, there's one guy who got up and he moved. And after that, some students started to respond. But here's what's amazing to me. Thinking about last night, it's amazing to me how many will raise their hands when nobody's looking. But the second the lights come up and people can see, we act like we've got it all together. And so I, I want to do something tonight that might be a little bit weird. Might be a little bit different. I, I want to, and let me preface it by this. I want your eyes wide open. Forget that bow your head junk, eyes closed junk. With everybody's eyes wide open, looking around, seeing what's going on in the room, I want to pose this question. Is anyone willing, by raise of hand, to admit that you're in one of those seasons where though you may look like you've got it all together on the outside, on the inside you feel like a hot mess. Is there anyone in this room? Wow, okay. <laughs> we got some issues in here. Now keep your hands up. Some people might be thinking about it here. Um, <laughs> all right, that happened a lot quicker than I thought it was going to happen. You know, is anybody in here in... in, in you're willing to admit that you know, you, you've got family issues happening in your life right now that are weighing heavy. Um, 
Anybody in here willing to admit that you've got health issues that are bothering you, scaring you? Is anyone in here willing to admit that um, you, are, you are dealing with some anxiety and stress? Yeah, there go the hands. <laughs> anxiety and stress from school, from work, from job, from relationships. Anybody in here willing to admit that your relationships are falling apart? Like on Facebook, your life looks awesome. On Facebook, it looks like you've got like the coolest friends in the world, but on the inside, you couldn't feel any lonelier. Is there anybody in here who's willing to admit that you are so frustrated with yourself for falling into the same sin over and over again? Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. And, and if you were able to raise your hand to any of those things, go ahead and put your hand up. If you raise your hand to any of those things, okay. Keep your hands up for a second. I want you to look around the room. And there's a few things that I want you to see. And before you put your hand down, I want you to see this. This right here is the more realistic picture of the church. This right here is the more realistic picture of the church. If you came in here feeling... I know your arm's getting tired. Leave it up for two more seconds. If you came in here feeling like an outsider because you felt like you were coming into a room where everybody's got it all together and you know that you don't have it all together, I want you to look around the room and see the reality of what, what you're in the presence of. Welcome home. You can put your hands down. Understand that you are surrounded by people who are dealing with the same stuff that you're dealing with. And you need to know this. The motto of the church, really what it should be is, we don't have our junk together, but Jesus does. There's something else I want you to see. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you think that you have your junk together, please know that you probably don't know Jesus yet. Because the first step in Entering into a relationship with Jesus is realizing that you don't have your junk together. Is realizing how impoverished you are on a spiritual level. And, and weirdly enough, the deeper you go in your relationship with Jesus, the more you realize you don't have your junk together. It's, it's kind of like driving to Colorado. In fact, I, I just found out this week my sister is moving to Colorado. I'm the last man standing in my family in, in the state of Texas. Everybody else is in Colorado. Um, and I'm standing strong. I ain't leaving. But... Uh, it's like driving to Colorado. If you've ever driven to Colorado, you know, there's a couple of mountains that you pass along the way, but eventually you get to Pikes Peak. And Pikes Peak is really, that, that section of the front range is really the first time that you really see the mountains. But when you get to where you can see Pikes Peak initially, it's pretty far off in the distance, and it doesn't look very big. You can kind of do this with your finger, and, and you can pretty much cover Pikes Peak. But the closer that you get to Pikes Peak, what happens? Yeah, the bigger Pikes Peak starts to look. And eventually, when you get to the foot of the mountains, you can't even see the top of Pikes Peak, but you, you realize how massively huge Pikes Peak is and how tiny you are. And the same is true in our relationship with Christ. The closer we get to Jesus, the bigger we realize He is, the holier we realize He is, the righteous, how we start to see how righteous and perfect He really is, and we start to see how small and unholy and unrighteous we really are. If you think you've got your junk together, you don't know Jesus very well, if at all. One more thing I want you to see by considering all the hands that were just raised. Hebrews 10, 14 says this. It was the verse that was on the screen when he came in. 
For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Salvation is not a process, but sanctification is. Let me say that again. Salvation is not a process, but sanctification is. When God's grace is applied to your life, in that moment, you are saved from your sins. In that moment, your salvation is complete. But also, in that moment, you enter into a lifelong process of sanctification. You enter into a lifelong process of being made holy. So I am the product, or I am a product of God's grace, but I'm also a project for God's grace. If you are in Christ, then you also are a product of God's grace, And a project for God's grace. So here's my challenge. Like, let's be that together. Let's let's not act like we're just products. And let's embrace the fact that we are and we always will be projects. Let's go beyond the superficial in here. Let's go beyond the everything's perfect in my life posts on Facebook. And let's dig below that and let people into the reality of what's going on in our lives. You need to understand, when you do that finally, not only will you be more free, not only will you not have to carry around the weight of this heavy facade, but the people around you will start to actually experience God's grace, especially the people that don't yet know Jesus. They will finally begin to see Jesus at work in you, be able to experience his grace, and then eventually they too will be free. Now, I really feel like this is where we need to start tonight because the stuff we're looking at in tonight's text, um, it's, it, again, it's challenging and it's convicting. And we need to remember that God is always, he's always calling us into a deeper, more mature relationship with him. He's always, he's always calling us out of sin and into righteousness. He's always calling us out of our old ways of life and into our new ways of life. But here's what I found, and I think this is very interesting. My failures in responding to God's call in my life are just as important to my sanctification as my successes are in responding to God's call in my life. Does that make sense? What I've found is my failures in responding to God's call in my life are just as important to my sanctification as my successes are. And here's why. Every time I fail and I fall back into sin or I fall back into fear or passiveness or laziness or whatever it is, I'm reminded of how far I fall short of God's standard and how badly I need Jesus. And as a result, I lean so much harder into Jesus. And I find more strength, find more power, find more grace, find more mercy. And what we're going to see tonight is convicting. It's convicting because you're going to see how far short you fall. But I don't want that to lead you into despair. Instead, I want it to cause you to fall harder into the saving arms of Jesus. Remembering the motto, at least what should be the motto of the church, which is we don't have our junk together, but Jesus does. So, Revelation 15. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read all of chapter 15 and most of chapter 16 at once. I'll stop a little bit to elaborate in a couple spots. But we're going to hunker down in one verse tonight towards the end. So here we go. If you've got got Revelation 15, let me hear you say, I got it. it. All right, here we go. Verse, Verse 1. John's talking. He says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. Real quick, I want to elaborate. We've been studying this book for a long time now, and uh, and we're getting towards the end. We've seen this pattern of, of seven plagues, you know, seven trumpets, 
seven bowls, you know, seven terrible things to happen, followed by seven terrible things to happen, and so on, with a couple of interludes, which we were just in the last two weeks, one of those interludes. And now we're on the last seven, the third, the, the trifecta here, like the third of sevens. And there's different views on how this happens. Do they all happen like one after the other, like the first seven happened, then the second seven, then the third seven? Some think all seven are the same thing, just being described uh, kind of again and again and again. Whichever way it happens, honestly, it doesn't matter. What we're seeing here, he says, um, with the seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. We are closing in on the end of God revealing his wrath uh, on the earth, on the heavens, and completing his plan. Okay, so we're getting close to the end. Some of y'all like, praise Jesus, I'm tired of this book. Verse 2, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I I might be, honestly, I don't think I'm reading into this. I don't know if you you catch this, but they're standing, he sees the sea of glass mingled with fire, and then the the church, like, standing there as conquerors, you know, they've won the battle, and then it says they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Does that remind you of anything? Like, if you go back to Exodus 14 and 15, Exodus 14, do you remember what happens? I heard a yawn. That's about all I heard. <laughs> the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, whatever it was, where the Israelites crossed through uh, the, the water on dry ground, and the Egyptians are destroyed. And what happens after that? Chapter 15. It's, I think the subheading is actually the Song of Moses. And they sing praise to God for what he had done. And I think you're seeing a parallel of that, but now on a bigger scale. Remember, we studied the last spring in Exodus, and we saw that Israel's story is our story. It's a parallel. It helps us to better understand our story and prepare us for our story. And, and this is where we're seeing the culmination of that story. So verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angel, angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So what's about to happen is a really big deal. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then John says, he heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls bowls of the wrath of God. I said that weird. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea, starting to see maybe how this parallels the ten plagues. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. 
People gnawed their tongues in anguish. Everybody uh, chew on your tongue for a second. Not like hard, but like, mm. now just imagine like gnawing on it in anguish, like really painfully chewing through your tongue. That's what's happening. All right. <laughs> Illustration nailed. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, verse 11, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Have you noticed that? Twice we see they did not repent. Again, sounds like Pharaoh. He didn't repent. He didn't let him go. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy trinity we see there, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. What does that sound like? It's coming. It's one of the other big iconic things that we read about in Revelation. The battle of? Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. Verse 15. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. This is where I want to camp out tonight. Listen to that verse again. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. These two chapters, Revelation 15 and 16, they really lean on this verse. Um, God doesn't give us, he didn't give us the gift of revelation just so that we could have more knowledge. He didn't give us the gift of this revelation just so we could have something to sit in coffee shops and debate about, you know, different theories surrounding this book and different timelines. When did this happen? When did that happen? Did the rapture happen here or there or there? He didn't give us this book so we could sit and debate all these different symbols. I mean, are they symbols? If they are, what do they mean? If they're not symbols, are they literal? He didn't give us the book for that reason. God gave us revelation as a gift so that our entire worldview would change And so that we would live differently in light of all these coming events that he's revealed to us. So the application to Revelation 15 and 16, and really the application to this entire book, is really wrapped up right here in chapter 16, verse 15. So listen to what he says. He says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked uh, and be seen exposed. Jesus basically says three things. One, he says, I'm coming like a thief. Two, he says, stay awake. And three, he says, keep your clothes on. (laughs) Now, out of context, it sounds really kind of weird. I'm going to come rob you, so stay awake and keep your clothes on. Sounds weird. But I want to chop it up, and I want us to see really how this plays in and applies to our life. So first, he says, behold, I'm coming like a thief. First of all, let me ask you this. He says, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Do you realize how often the Bible talks about this? Matthew mentions it. Luke mentions it. Paul mentions it. Peter mentions it. John mentions it. It's mentioned all over the place. And when something is repeated in Scripture, you, you, need to, you need to give it special attention. Jesus is coming like a thief. So what does that mean, Jesus is coming like a thief? What does it mean? Guard your stuff, lock your house, hide your jewelry because Jesus is going to come rob you? No, that's not what it means. It says Jesus is coming like a thief. It doesn't say he's going to do you like a thief. He says he's coming like a thief. So have you ever been robbed before? Let me see your hands here. You ever been robbed? Dang. Where are y'all from? Mesquite, yeah, that's where I'm from too. I've been robbed as well. Um, I, was ro- I've, I was robbed twice that I know of uh, in Lubbock, where I was before this. I was a college pastor there. And I was robbed twice in the same house. 
Um, one, one time it happened on either Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, kind of in the middle of the night. I woke up um, on Saturday morning to a phone call. My neighbors had called me because they were going to their car. They passed my car, and the doors were open to my car, and like, um, there was like clothes strewn out everywhere. I li- like basically live out of my car. So there's like clothes everywhere and stuff, and the radio in my car was gone. I drove a 1995 Chevy Lumina. Uh, I'm telling you, man, that is a sweet car. Uh, but it had this, one of those radios that you kind of put it in there yourself. I didn't put it in there. It was there when I got it. Uh, in fact, joke was on the robber, the thief, whatever, because uh, the radio didn't even work. I have this thing. My car's radios never work. The car I'm in now, radio doesn't work. I have no idea what the hit songs are right now. But he stole the radio and thought he got something he could sell, but it didn't work. So I, I, I got a call. My neighbor's like, hey, I think your car was broken into last night. Your radio was stolen. Stuff is everywhere. Um, you should probably come look at it. And I was like, it was I don't know what time it was Saturday morning, but I was like, all right, cool. I'll come check it out later. Hung up, went back to sleep because I really didn't care. And then uh, went down there later, called the police, and they came and looked and whatever. Uh, then a few weeks later, I was robbed again. Uh, this time it was, it was a little bit worse. So I was, uh, I think it was a Saturday again. I guess thieves in Lubbock work on Saturdays. Uh, but I was helping some friends paint this house they just moved into. They are repainting it. And uh, so I was over there painting, and I left to, and, and came home. When I got home, I opened the door. My apartment, the way it looked was you, you open the door and uh, there's the kitchen, pretty big kitchen. Then there's kind of this counter that's open to the kitchen and on the other side is the living room. And uh, on the back wall, there's sliding doors that go to this like back patio. And then there's this um, circular staircase that went up to this loft where my room was. It was a sweet apartment. And so I walk in and I notice, first, I didn't notice anything. Then I realized, wait, something seems weird. And I realized the sliding glass door was leaning up against my spiral staircase inside my apartment. And I'm like, man, some college students are messing with me. And uh, so, which because that happened a lot. And um, so anyways, I, uh, I put my stuff down and was like, how am I going to get this door back on? Oh my gosh, my TV's gone. <laughs> and uh, I just got this TV and it was gone. And, um, and so I'm like, well, shoot. And so sitting there like, what do I do? Are college students messing with me, or did I really get robbed? You know, I'm, I'm still like, I'm not believing that I got robbed. Not even thinking about that maybe I came in and the robber's like upstairs stealing stuff and hiding or something. I'm just sitting down there thinking, huh. And uh, so then I was like, well, I don't know. So I got something to eat, and then uh, <laughs> it's what you do when you get robbed. You get something to eat. I think I went to the fridge to make sure they didn't steal any of my food, and then I was like, I'm hungry. I might as well eat. But uh then uh, I called the cops and told them, hey, they stole my TV. Can y'all come out and check this out? You know, get some fingerprints and do your investigation. And uh, then I was like, wait a second. Where's my computer? They had stole my computer, too, which uh, is a big deal. Like, I have everything on my computer. Thankfully, I just bought one of those hard drives, you know, external hard drives, and loaded all my sermons on there. And also, thankfully, I didn't lose too much. I lost a few songs I just bought on iTunes. I'm still hacked off about that. But, uh, yeah, so I got robbed there. And, and, and uh how does a thief come, though? So it says, he says he's not going to come do you like a thief, you know, rob you like a thief, but he says he's going to come like a thief. How does a thief come? Does a thief say, hey, uh, Thursday night, I'm coming. Come rob your stuff. Does he do that? No. How does a thief come? Yeah, unexpectedly. He doesn't, he doesn't warn you. He comes without warning. Sorry, my microphone's messing with my ear tonight. He doesn't come with, he, he comes without warning. Does, does a thief show up and just like, I don't know, I'm going to steal some stuff, put it in his car, then come back in your apartment, you know, brew some coffee, sit down and chill on your couch, does he? Maybe some weird thieves do that, but no, for the most part, no. Thieves come quickly and without warning. So, so when Jesus says, I'm going to come like a thief, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm coming quickly and without warning. 
So now you have to ask, what implications does that have on our lives? And here it is. For those of you who don't feel like you have time to invest properly in your spiritual life, for those of you who don't feel like you have time to come to church, for those of you who don't feel like you have time to uh, be a part of a community or just community with other believers, intentional community with other believers in general, for those of you who don't feel like you have time to be discipled or make disciples or whatever it is, you need to realize that the reality is you don't have time to not have time for that stuff. It's foolish to spend your life investing in stuff that's going to be irrelevant at any moment. In Luke chapter 9, verse 25, Jesus says, What good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? Jesus is coming quickly and without warning. It's now or never for your relationship with Jesus. First thing we see in that verse. Second is this. He says, blessed is the one who stays awake. You see that in there? It says, blessed is the one who stays awake. Do you realize how often this is talked about in the Bible? It's even more so than Jesus coming like a thief. This is talked about way more. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, they all talk about it, and they all talk about it on multiple occasions. And you look, that, that word awake, sometimes in the Greek it's translated keep watch or stay watchful or be watchful. Here, here's a few places in Scripture where you see this talked about. Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13, watch, there's the word, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Luke 12, 37 says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Romans 13, 11 says, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake, there it is, to wake from your sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul writes, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Paul says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Um, I've got some pretty impressive sleeping skills. Seriously. I, I mean, I don't really say that to be funny. It's the truth. In college, sadly, in most of my classes, I had a reputation of being the guy that slept in class. True story. Um, I just like, when I sit still, I have a tendency to fall asleep. Does anybody else have that problem? Like you sit still for a while, you start falling asleep. And that happens in class. Like, I don't like it when you fall asleep in here, but honestly, I can't blame you. If I sit still for a while, I start to fall asleep. Don't fall asleep in here, though. Um, a couple classes, just crazy, or not crazy, but just funny things that happened. So I was in a, one, one guy's class in college. It was a Bible interpretation class, um, and I slept in there all the time, unfortunately. Uh, but the teacher's name was James Taylor, not the musician. But uh, I was sitting in the back row up against the wall, good sleeping position. And uh, next to me was one of my roommates, also one of my teammates in college, a guy named Brian. And uh, almost every day in class, this was my freshman year, so I was still playing basketball, so I'd always be exhausted, and I would pretty much fall straight to sleep. And I'd lean back against the wall, and I don't know if you do this, when I fall asleep sitting straight up, what happens? Yeah, the jaw's a little heavy, so it falls open. So I'm, I'm sleeping there like this. And, um, and, and James, he was kind of a cool professor, and so he would notice that I was asleep, and he'd kind of look at Brian sitting next to me and just kind of wink at him or whatever. Brian would then start tearing off little shreds of paper and stick them on my lower lip. And then put like two or three there. And after there were two or three there, James would call on me and be like, hey, Austin, what do you think about this? And you know when you're asleep and, and somebody calls on you, you try to wake up and play it off like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'd be like, oh, uh, yeah. And like the whole time this paper's just kind of fluttering right there on my face. Um, and Brian just over there laughing and stuff. But anyways, 
Uh, one time in my business ethics class, uh, the professor, a guy named Brian McKinney, he was also my um, advisor. So uh, I fell asleep in his class. And, and honestly, it was a lose-lose situation from the start. Like, it's those classes where um, they have the really comfortable chairs that kind of re- recline back. Any of you have some classes like that? Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, why do they do that? But anyways, cushiony chair, it kind of re- leans back. And so, I, I mean, almost every day, I would go in there and just fall asleep. It's in that, like, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock hour after you lunch, you're just exhausted, tired. Happens to me today still. Don't tell my bosses. But um, I fall asleep, and uh, so I fell asleep this one particular day. And, like, there, this day, like, normally you try to hide it, you know. You kind of do this thing where you're reading your notes, but really you're snoozing. Or you kind of do this, and you're, you know, you fall asleep that way, and it kind of makes it look like you're paying attention. Um, this particular day, I just came in and was like, man, forget this. And I just was, like, you know, kind of laying out like this. <laughs> And uh, so I'm like five minutes in, I'm asleep. And uh, about 10 minutes into class, all of a sudden, uh, Dr. McKinney, he slams his book shut, one of those big textbooks. He slams it shut and he goes, Austin. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I wake up. And uh, he's like, are you serious, man? And I was like, uh, I, you know, I'm still like, I'm really coming out of being asleep. And so I'm not sure what's going on. And he's like, Dude, do you want me to get you like a, a, a pillow and blanket or a cot and we can just sit in the aisle right here and you can just sleep every You come in and you sleep every day and I'm still coming out of my sleep so I didn't respond like I should have uh, but I just kind of thought about it for a minute and was like, uh, well, no, that's okay. Uh, not the right response. And so he said a couple other things and he was heated, you know, like super heated. And of course, this is happening. Everybody in class is like, oh my gosh. Um, and so he goes back to teaching and I'm like, really awake, you know, sitting there like this now. And uh, five minutes goes by. And it, he, again, he just kind of slams his book, shuts it, shuts the, shuts the book, puts it on the, on the podium he was using. He goes, you know what? I'm just, I can't, I can't do this. Y'all just leave. Get, go, just go. Like 15 minutes in the class, he dismisses us because I had fallen asleep and made him mad. So I'm walking out and everybody's like hitting me on the butt as we go out. Like, yeah, man, dude, do that junk again, you know? But uh, so I, I, I fall asleep at pretty much every movie I go to. You can ask Leslie. We've gone to a few movies together. I fall asleep in pretty much every one at some point, right? Yes? Yeah, I fall asleep in movies. just doesn't matter. In the theater, I will fall asleep. Um, again, if I sit still for a long period, I fall asleep. Now, that being said, I have, however, stayed awake for 68 hours straight one time. Now, if you do your math right, if I did my math right, that's almost three days, right? 72 hours in that three days? So four hours short of three days. I couldn't make it the other four. By that point, I'm like, I'm going three days. I'm going to get this. Uh, the reason I stayed awake for 68 hours was it was, the, it was the first few days of being pledged in my fraternity. And it was the beginning of a long pledge process. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't sleep for 68 hours. I almost said 68 days. Uh, 68 hours. And you get weird when you don't sleep for that long. Um, like, I started to see stuff. And I wasn't on drugs. I just started to see stuff. Um, I would be like working on homework or writing something and I would start to like write a little bit of what I was trying to write mixed in with what I was half dreaming about. I'm serious, it was weird. And then it would kind of just trail off the page as I dozed and then I'd have to start over and um, it got weird. But the reason I was able to stay awake that long, there's two reasons. One is I kept moving. Anytime I sat still, I began to fall asleep. So I kept moving for that 68 hours. The other reason I was able to stay awake that long is my pledge brothers. We all stuck together the entire time. And if we caught somebody dozing off, we would wake them up. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Jesus is constantly urging us to stay awake. All throughout Scripture, he's urging us to stay alert. And I would say that the current status of the church is sluggish and sleepy. Why? 
I'll give you two reasons. Reason one is, when you stop moving, you're prone to fall asleep. Reason number two is, when you don't walk closely with other believers, you have nobody holding you accountable and helping you stay awake. So if you want to be ready for Christ's return, you got to do two things. One is, don't stop moving. You have to stay actively involved in your pursuit of Jesus. Actively involved. Two, you have to stay actively involved in his mission. Don't stop moving. And the second thing is, if you want to be ready for Christ's return, you have got to surround yourself in community with other believers. Invite people into your life. Allow yourself to be held accountable. Allow yourself to be truly known. Stop acting tough and trying to do it on your own. That's not how God intended for it to be. Jesus is constantly urging us to stay awake and stay alert. And the reason he's doing that is because he's coming like a thief. He's coming quickly and without warning. The third thing we see in this text, he says, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So when I was a little kid, I was terrified of fires. And uh, there was one time I was, I was showering and the smoke detectors went off in our house. And you know how, like, I don't know if your family did this. My family did this where um, they drew up, like, a fire escape plan, you know, for me as a little kid. Did they do that for you? <laughs> All right, my parents are a little bit paranoid then. Anyways, they uh, did any, can it, come on, anybody confess any? Okay, thank you. There's, like, a lot of you, actually, seven or eight. Anyways, um, so there was like this plan. They kind of drew our house, and there were a couple trees in the front yard, and they're like, if there's ever a fire, then we're all going to meet by this tree in the front yard. Okay, so now I'm in the shower, and the smoke detectors go off, and I was terrified. So I didn't even turn the shower off. I just jumped out of the shower, and I ran, and the closest place to me was the back door and the garage. So I ran out the back door. I went into the garage. The garage door was open. It was in the summer, so like, I don't know. I think my dad, well, my dad definitely was working out in the backyard. And so I'm, I run through the garage. I'm headed for the alley, and who knows where I was going after that. Thankfully, my dad was there. He stopped me uh, from just like running. Again, like I'm just like butt naked running out there. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, I, like I said, I was a kid. I was like, I don't know, 17, 18. No, I'm just kidding. I was like six or seven. I was like six or seven, I'm sure, when that happened. But uh, I wasn't ready for the smoke detector to go off. I wasn't ready for that moment. Now listen, the only way that we'll be ready for when, when God wants to set all of this that we're reading in Revelation, the only way that we'll be ready for when God wants to set all this in motion is if we have been clothed in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 53 says this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, must clothe itself with the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, you go back to Revelation 16, 15, it says, Keeping his garments on. That word keeping, it's a verb, and it's a present active tense verb. It's not past tense. It's present active. In other words, it's not a decision made and completed in the past. It's a daily, active decision. Colossians 1.23 says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, reconciled you, sorry, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if, keyword if, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor in North Carolina, he wrote this in his book, um, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. He said this, your present posture is more important than a past memory. In other words, whether or not you're standing right now on the gospel, on that confession of faith, is way more important than whether or not you prayed a prayer 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Are you still standing in Jesus today? If you prayed a prayer 10 or 15 or 20 years ago to put your faith in Jesus, are you still standing in Jesus today? If you're not still standing in Jesus today, then that prayer that you prayed 10, 15 years ago probably was not really you putting your faith in Jesus. What matters is your present posture. And that's why Jesus says, keep your garments on. Continue steadfast in Jesus. So kind of in summary, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. In other words, I'm coming quickly and without warning. He says, stay awake. In other words, you've, you've got to keep moving. Be active in your pursuit, active in his mission. Surround yourself with community with other believers. And he says, keep your garments on, continue steadfast in Jesus. So if you read on, verse 16, it says, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called what? Armageddon. So next time we're in Revelation, we're going to pick up with the battle of Armageddon, and it's going to be quite interesting. But tonight as we close, I, I, here's what I want to leave you with. Look, going back to the beginning. Obviously, by the people who raised their hands, there's a lot going on in this room. We don't have our junk together, but Jesus does. And I, I hope that in that statement you are encouraged and challenged. Encouraged by the fact that I think sometimes when we stare at our junk for a really long time, we, we become overwhelmed by the weight of it. And we forget that if we are in Christ, Jesus has re- removed that from us. So be encouraged by the fact that the whole reason Jesus came was not to condemn those who haven't got their junk together. It's, it's to save those who know they don't have their junk together. And others of you, I hope you're challenged by the fact that we don't have our junk together, but Jesus does. You know, some of you, you're, you're trying to put up a facade, not only so others don't see that you don't have your junk together, but so that you don't have to look at the fact that you don't have your junk together. And in doing so, you're denying the grace of God through Jesus Christ that he has offered to you. The first step in applying that grace of Jesus to your life is looking at your junk and realizing it's there and realizing that you can't do anything about it, but realizing Jesus can. And so I just want to challenge you tonight, if that's you, look at your junk, see how big it is, see how disgusting and how much baggage and sin is there. And then look at Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he did through his resurrection and realize that he did that so that you don't have to carry that around anymore. And then receive his grace. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.